Thank you for listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help you win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, come and see us and join the Passion Church family. Visit our Facebook page or our website at passionchurchmo.com to find out more about us. Habakkuk, the second chapter. Verse 2. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture. Most of us are very familiar with it. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables or tablets that he may run that readeth it. Now I'm, of course, reading out of the King James. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but the end, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, in other words, though there's a delay, wait for it because it will surely come. And then it goes on to say it will not tarry. Almost sounds like it's, like it's a contradiction, not a contradiction. It's actually saying it won't be late for its appointed day if you go back to the original language. It won't be late. How many understand that if God gives you a vision for your life, it won't be late. It'll arrive right on time when it's supposed to happen. That's how our God operates. Who could say amen to that? All right. So in the Amplified, it says it this way. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and engrave it so plainly upon tablets that everyone who passes by may be able to read it easily and quickly as he hastens by. For the vision is yet for an appointed time and it hastens to the end or of fulfillment It will not deceive or disappoint, though it tarry, wait earnestly for it, because it will surely come and will not be behindhand on its appointed day. So I want to talk today, if I can, for a moment about vision. Habakkuk tells us uh, about the vision, and and you need to know the backstory here. Habakkuk is, is not only prophesying, but he's also writing about a time and a difficult time of when the enemy is in hot pursuit of you. When the enemy is in hot pursuit, that's the time we need to hear the word of the Lord and the visions of God and be able to grasp them quickly in a hurried pace and understand that even though everything around us is going crazy, upside down, topsy-turvy, and backwards to what the word says... We have to, to wait and tarry and stand and believe even when our enemies are pursuing us. It adds a little different twist to this, doesn't it? We're so used to reading this, we read it oftentimes out of context. But in context, it means that if you're being pursued and pushed, you need to know what your vision is so that the enemy will not steal it from you in all of the hurriedness of life around you and the pursuit of an enemy. I want to say hello to everybody who's streaming today. God bless you. We're glad that you joined us today. Lean in a little bit because we're going to talk about vision. Habakkuk tells us to define the vision in its simplest terms for those who are being pursued by an enemy so that they can read the message of hope and keep their faith intact because what God promises will come to pass even though the season seems to be delayed. How many knows that oftentimes there are divine delays in the promises of God? Because God gives us the promise today, we think it's going to happen tomorrow. 
But what we don't understand is when a word is given and a prophecy is spoken, there are oftentimes valleys in between the mountaintops of victory that we have, and we can't see it. When a prophet gives a word, he can't see those valleys. All he sees are the mountaintops of victory. And so it's in the valleys that we learn, we grow, and we, we come again to a place of victory when we go from one mountain through a valley to the top of the next mountain. In verse 4, he reminds us that the enemy and his pride are his undoing or destruction. I don't think I read that verse. Let's read it again. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but, he, but the just shall live by his faith. In other words, the enemy that pursues you is filled with pride, and his pride will be his downfall. But those of you who have your trust in the promise of God, in the vision that he's given for your life, you are going to, if you keep the faith, live through this and see the fulfillment of what it is that God has for you. Okay? So, the righteous will be sustained even in persecution if faith doesn't waver. Did you hear that? But the righteous will be sustained even in persecution if his faith doesn't waver. For the just shall live by faith. That's why the word says, write the vision. Keep that promise before your eyes, for it will arrive right on time. So today as we talk about vision, I want to talk not just about vision, but I want to talk about the vision of Passion Church. I want to talk about our corporate vision. Now, each of us have a vision for our own life and what it is that the Lord wants to do with us. We each have different giftings and different abilities and different uh, callings upon our life. And all together, we are fitly joined together as one family, one body, bringing forth the kingdom of God. And we're just one part of the universal body of Christ. We're just a small part. But we have to be as complete a part as we can possibly be in our region. And so I want to talk today about vision. In fact, I want to talk about the vision of Passion Church, and I want to define vision for you. Are you ready? Vision is the ability to develop a mental picture upon the soul from an image captured in the human spirit. Can I say that again? Vision is the ability to develop a mental picture upon the soul from an image captured in the human spirit. Vision isn't seen solely with the eye, but the eye is a lens in which your brain captures an image. But it's not a vision until your brain that receives the image through the lens of the eye gets a perception. Perception is the ability to see, to hear, or to become aware of something through your senses. You see, hearing is also involved with perception, and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So if we take the Word that God has spoken to us and also write it, then vision can come by hearing and sight until the mind has captured the image of true perception in the recesses of the inner man. This sounds a little, a little bit complicated, but it's really not. So today I'm going to share our vision with both the spoken word 
and with written imagery that you see behind me on the walls. We arrived here on Easter Sunday in 2013 with revival in our heart, compassion in our soul, and a drive to bring reformation to the church and restoration to the souls of our city. Pastor Colleen and I arrived with about 20 people who came with us, who had worked with us in the past in ministry. We put our faith with Miss Irene, who was the last standing member of Glad Tidings Church, who is still sitting on the second row, still saying yes and amen to all that the Lord is doing here, still a, a, a part of this body and a strong part of the body. In fact, she's just now beginning to lean in and go, okay, now it's time for me to put my hand to the plow. And so we're starting to develop some things for her to help us get her hand to the plow to really start moving this thing forward. And so her faith and our exuberance came together, and when we did, God began to establish a vision for this region. And so <clears throat> I want to share that with you today, uh, if I can. Uh, as I said, we arrived here in 2013. We had that big vision on our heart. And after a few short months, the Lord began to share with me what he had desired in revival by ending a season of drought in this area, just like the one that we are in now. How many believes that if God can end one drought, he can end another drought? Amen. Amen. So when the Lord speaks to me, I listen, and I always write down what it is God has said to me because I've learned the value that if all I do is hear the word, then oftentimes I will forget what I've heard. That's why so many times when I meet you the first few times, I have a hard time remembering your name because it takes time for what I hear to get down inside of me. Josh, today I finally got it right, brother. High five, I got it right. Uh, <laughs> but it takes me a little bit because I've got that 50-year-old mind, you know. And so sometimes I forget things. Uh, those of you who are over 40, uh, just look down. Don't even, don't even acknowledge what I just said. But when the Lord speaks, I listen, and so I write it down so that I can also take the word that God has given to me and put it through the lens of my eye gates so that my brain can grab a hold and build a perception of what it is that God is saying. It doesn't mean that everything in that perception that I perceive will be exactly the way God intends or means it, but at least I've captured enough of what it is that God has said that I can now build a mental image on the inside of me of where I'm headed, a destination, and what it shall look like when I get to the end of what it is that God has said. When we first arrived here, in the third month of... of 2013, on the 30th day, see, we hadn't been here very long, and here's what the Lord said. He said, the fields of this region are bare. All that remains are stubble of a once vibrant message of life. I was standing looking out a window when the Lord spoke this, and I could see this stuff happening in front of me. The birds are picking at the remains. It's meager fare. Left only are brief reminders of a once vast crop for harvest. You see, this used to be a church that was filled with the Holy Ghost fire and power of God. And through the successive ages, it has waned. It doesn't mean that any move wasn't significant. They were all significant. But God is telling me now about the spiritual climate of the area in which we have arrived. He says, son, you shall see a great awakening. Oh, I can preach right there. Leave me alone. 
a flurry of activity. How many are getting tired from all the activity around here? A season of sowing. As the dark clouds gather, even as they release the rain, the drought, the plague is over, and soon life will sprout. Tender plants will bloom. Strength of the growing season is emerging. This harvest will be mighty, but not without opposition. Be not turned to the left nor to the right. Plow straight ahead. In this harvest, the reapers will get ahead of the sowers. Is it not written? And it is. It's written in the word. Behold the day of deliverance. Behold the day of healing. Behold the day of abundance. Write, my son, what I say. For say not four months until the harvest. For now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Oh, I love this part. One more time I shall visit my people. One more time I will come with my glory and my might. Unveil your faces and let my glory in your countenance shine. Today is the day of renewed hope in the promises I have given you. Do not shriek back in the day. Have I ever failed? No, and I shall not fail thee now. You were born for this day and no other. Crowds, oh yes, crowds will gather to taste of the waters of life falling from the clouds of glory over you. Hear my thunder. You forgot the sound of my power. Behold the abundance of rain. I need to tell you that where, I, where it says, hear my thunder, as I was reading this, we're in a drought. But as I'm reading this, out of nowhere comes a clap of thunder. And God said, do you hear my thunder? Only God could have made it thunder at that precise moment as I'm looking out the window. And he said, you forgot the sound of my power. Behold the abundance of rain. Rivers and creeks and ditches and ravines will overflow with life, abundant life. Drink in my presence, says the Lord your God. Today dark and dreary, tomorrow bright and filled with life. Smell the fragrance of clean air. Smell the blossoms of life. Come sit beneath the shade of the maple and the oak. Trees of righteousness you are. Many shall come seeking your shade, and I trust you. Never forget who the glory belongs to, and touch not my glory, and these things shall remain. Touch my glory, and they shall cease. Come walk with me, son of Adam. Come feast with me, child of Christ, for I have prepared a feast, not a famine. Come partake of my promises. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Enter into a season of joy. Come beneath the cloud cover. Come closer beneath my wings. Seek me while I may be found. Look this day upon on the barren fields and say no more in my name of God. Look this day upon the barren fields and say no more in the name of my God. That was the very first word God spoke to me about this region. He went on and added to that about revival and reformation and all of the things that God has for this region. And I wanted to read that for you today so you understand why there's a passion down deep inside of me. Because while I was standing there on a Saturday afternoon, God was showing me things and speaking these things to me. And do you know that that next Sunday morning when I stood right here in this pulpit and there may have been 30, 
30 or maybe 40 of us at that time, as we were standing here, all of a sudden it began for the first time in months to rain outside as I delivered that word. God came with a sign and a wonder to prove to us that the word that he gave us was true. And so God shaped for us a vision of where we are headed and where we are about to go. So we hit the ground running, preaching, teaching, training, and developing gifts within this body. You see, this is not a one-man show. This is not a one-couple show. This is not a one-family show. This is all of us working together, fitly joined together, to do what it is that God has called us to do in this region. (laughs) We went on about designing various outreaches which were birthed through the development of the ministry gifts that are already here. Pastor Colleen shared some of that. Uh, those of you who are streaming wouldn't know about that, but, but Pastor Colleen shared a little bit of that this morning as she was uh, sharing how uh, Kendra and, and, and uh, Christian had, had taken on a job that really wasn't their vision, wasn't really their heart, but they'd done it just to be available to help us. But then God began to develop through their gifts something that made them blossom and shine. And that's how God raises up ministries. There's a million good ideas, but good ideas are good ideas. But when a gift of God raises something up, it becomes a God idea. Mm. Numbers grew in a steady pace. And for five years now, we have pursued new property. And we are still waiting with the promise right on our fingertips. The building is ours. We just got to get a little bit more money scraped together so we can get the fire suppression, and then we in. And once we in, there ain't no slowing us down, folks. We're going to be going after this thing called reformation and revival. But our vision and our mission remain intact. We have written them plain and simple, defining them to their lowest point to endow them on the mind so that perception can develop the negative of the snapshot in the spirit into an image clearly defined within the soul or man's intellect. And our mission, Passion Church, is to help people win. That's our mission. Our mission statement is help people win. How many have ever been in a place when you just wish you could win once? And so oftentimes in the world and society, they have no hope of ever winning because everything they touch seems to go backwards. What started out as a party suddenly was sprung on you. What started out as fun suddenly became a prison to you. What started out uh, as self-willed suddenly put you into a self-willed prison. What started out in rebellion now has turned on you and caused you grief and heartache. And many people are trying to navigate life just wishing they could win one time. Just wishing one time. You see, being self-willed sometimes will, will put you in the state of poverty or in the poor house. And some people just need an image change of who they are to understand that the blessing of God is laying with at their fingertips, that the blanket of God's mercy and grace is for everyone, that God wishes that no one should perish. And if they just had one moment, a glimmer of hope that they could win, they would reach for the master so that they could become a winner in life. Mm-hmm. So... Our passion 
Our mission at Passion Church is to help people win, according, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 57. God gave us victory through Jesus Christ. And so if we're living short of victory, then I want you to examine where are you with Christ? If you're living short of victory in an area, where are you in that area in Christ? Because the Word of God tells us in every scope, every avenue of life, where to turn and what to hold on to in that region where we might not be winning at the moment. Is this all right? So we desire to help them win in every area of life. And this will be our mission until the sounding of the trump. Look at this. We want people to win in Christ. Amen? We want people to win in their marriage. Pastor Colleen and I are living examples of how a broken marriage can become a good marriage. We want you to win in your family. There's no reason for family feuding and arguing and bickering. No, families can win if we'll just get on the same page and work together in harmony. Families can win. We want you to win at work. We want you to win at school. We want you to win in your economic status. We want you to win in relationships. We want you to win in your servanthood. We want you to win in character development. We want you to win and not only win, but annihilate your addictions. We want you to win in society. We want you to win in stability. We want you to win in ministry. We want you to win in whatever it is that you put your hand to do. We want you to come out and say, through Christ Jesus, I have the victory and and I am a winner. And we're here, Cameron, Missouri, to let you know you are not a loser. You are a winner. You are a winner. You are a winner. You see, I believe, and when you drive the streets of Cameron now, you kind of see a little bit of a, a socioeconomic uh, debacle here because we have really, really affluent places and we have places that are falling apart. I'm not here to judge anybody. That is not my job. But my job is to let you know that for several years in another town, we laid on our face and we prayed for the socioeconomic situation of that town to change. And today, if you drive through that town, you see see new houses. You see new businesses. You see new things going on. And I want you to understand that if you believe Cameron can win in the economic situation, if you get with me and believe and have trust in that, then God will take this barren region and bring life back to it again as he rains down his blessings from heaven because Cameron is a winning city. And that's, that's just one thing that, that uh, uh, Cameron could use winning in. There's a whole lot more, but I don't have time to go in all of that. I know it's a mouthful, but this is how it's done. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 28. Oh, everybody's familiar with this portion of Scripture as well. I'm going to start with verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power. How much power? All power. He didn't say just a little bit. He said, all power is given unto me. Do you see how that could make you a winner? If you come to Jesus, the one who has all the power. He has the power over society. Yes, the Bible says that Satan is the God of, of the cosmos, the structure of society. That is true because of, of the first man, Adam's treason. 
But what's even What's even elevated higher in truth is the fact that Jesus came to reverse the curse and hand back to us the ability to stop being the tail in this life and start being the head in this life. And all the power of Christ Jesus supersedes the power of the cosmos and gives us the ability to stand in faith, believing, and change the atmosphere wherever we go. I'm having fun. Is that all right? I got to get with it here. All power is given unto me in heaven and in what? See, this is a promise we got to get a hold of. We don't understand who we are. We don't understand that society doesn't get to win. We let them win, but they don't get a win because we have the power to change it. We have the power in Christ to take what's losing in the droves. And turn it back into a winning situation. Mm. The problem is, is we've let the voices of opposition drown out the voices of praise. And as the voices of opposition drown out the voices of praise, some of those who started out with a voice of praise have listened to the oppositional voice to the, to the place that they now have begun to side with the wrong party. They've now begun to step left or to the right of what they know to be the truth in God. And here's where the rubber meets the road. If we're going to make a winner out of society then we got to start speaking up we got to start showing up we got to start standing up I'm not talking about going around making a war and condemning people to hell and getting in their face with signs that say your sin is deplorable unto God no I'm talking about reaching in with the power of Christ Jesus all power was given to him in heaven and earth and the one thing he told me to do is love God and love people. If we'll love people, you have a better chance of helping them to navigate all the negativity of life and begin to see that there's something greater than what they know down here. Wow. I'm trying to read the scripture. Would you leave me alone? So all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye. Who is ye? Ye is me, ye is me, ye is you. Go you, therefore, and teach. What's the therefore? Telling you what was already established, that all power has been given unto Jesus. And since all power belongs to him, he's telling you, therefore, you, go, go. It's like a runner waiting for the baton in the race. Go. He wants you to take off. Look at this. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to, to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So he tells us to go. Go and watch the assignment. Make a disciple. What is a disciple? Someone who hears the truth, leans in, receives Christ, and then begins to learn of his word and begins to become and, and form and shape and remold his life to look like the life that was meant for him all along, clear back in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. I'm having trouble. I don't know if I can get to the end today. We're going to do our best. 
Look at this. Go and make disciples. First, by introducing them to the Godhead. Because it all starts with relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Then the partnering of the Holy Spirit. He is the paraclete, the one called alongside. The one who partners with you. It is God in you, the hope of glory. He is Christ in you. He's always telling you the words of Jesus so that you can build yourself up in your most holy faith. He partners with you in your conscience to help you whenever you're faced with something that wants to pull you contrary to the word of God. You may hear the voice of opposition, but you will also counterintuitively hear the voice. I don't know if I said that word right, but you hear the voice of, of God on the other side saying, no, there's a better way. There's a better way than going that way because there's always a way that seems right unto man but there's a way that will get you to the finish line there's a way that will get you to become a winner and not in a place where life is constantly beating you down and using you up and spitting you out and leaving you laying alongside the road somewhere going how did I get here in verse 20 he says to teach them the word So we have to have a relationship with God, and we have to have a relationship with the Word of God. Society is screaming, what is real? Society is screaming, what is real? That's why they're reaching now for for, uh, uh, faiths and forms of faith that are very oppressive and murderous in their intent because they want someone just to show us what are the rules. How does this work? All power has been given to us in Christ Jesus, but we've stood on the sidelines so long with our arms folded and allowed society to do its thing until now mass confusion operates in the land and a spirit of antichrist, which means instead of Christ, has taken over society, not just in America, but around the world. We see the same things going on in the same demonstrations and the same rights activists screaming all around the world in places where once they would never have been allowed to do so, but I want you to understand the reason they're doing that is somebody stopped defining the rules. Somebody stopped giving them something to believe in. Somebody stopped giving them the ability to dream for tomorrow that things can be better. So they develop their own. Is this too hard? So, even though society is screaming for what is real, I want you to understand God is answering. God is answering, but he's waiting for us. He told us to go. Oh, God could could come and sweep the earth and make everybody a believer, but he left the mission to you and me to be Christ in the earth. Everybody awake? Punch your neighbor and say, wake up. Look at this. So I just had an intercessor send me a message by Marco Polo. They were weeping and crying over the youth of the area and over the youth of the church. Not, not, just, not just Passion Church, but, but 
the church universal. They could feel it that in our town, in our town, the youth are being taken over by an antichrist spirit. And they need a place to, to arise and shine. They need a spot where we start showing them and helping them to shut out the voices that make them less than a winner and bring them to the place where they can win completely in Christ Jesus. And it's not going to just simply be by preaching to them, but we got to take them by the hand and make the house of God a training center where they can learn and grow and develop and become into the adults and make decisions for themselves based upon the word of God and morality that the word lays out for us so that they can find the parameters and begin to learn how to live within them. If you believe that, shout hallelujah. Mm. So faith is believing and receiving. The initial introduction to God, his word, and then the progressive journey of a daily walk in God and growth in God is how we will make disciples. But the lowest common denominator in communication is simply to say, help people win. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our mission. And it all ties hand in hand with our vision for this house. Because to help people win, we must reach people. And reach is the lowest common denominator in capturing how we perceive our ability to carry out this great commission found in Matthew, the 28th chapter. First, we start by reaching. If you'll see the arrows there, the first arrow points up. You see, we can't help people win unless we reach people. And if we're going to reach people, the first thing we got to teach them is to reach up. We got to teach them to reach beyond themselves. In, in AA, we would say to a higher power. But I believe to the only power, the supreme power. We must teach them. And we must dis display for everyone who comes into our corporate worship to reach for God. Matthew twenty two thirty seven 37 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. In other words, all in. I coined a term years ago called the all-out sellout. If you're going to come to Christ, then you got to give him everything. You can't hold anything back. Can I just tell it the way it really is? Sometimes we make it too easy. We say, come up here, whisper a prayer with us, and then you go back home. And they go right back into the hell that they came out of, and they don't have anyone to instruct them, help them, teach them, show them, teach them how to worship their way out of a problematic situation. We're real good at getting people to sign a card and send them home. But how about if we don't make it so easy to get to the altar? You need to understand that before you come, that you're saying, I'm going to give him everything. Because if I give him everything, I win. Oftentimes, because we are self-preservationists, we believe that life and success in life is, is won and, 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 and pushed forward solely because we know how to take care of us. And one of the hardest things to get the human psyche to understand is if you'll let go, life will get a whole lot better. But as long as I'm a self-preservationist and I sit in the corner just trying to protect myself from all of the ills of this life, I find out I get nothing but beat up. 
That rope-a-dope thing only worked for Muhammad Ali. It ain't going to work for you. I got three people go, oh, who's Muhammad Ali? I don't even know what you're talking about. I forget it's a new generation. He was a great boxer, all right. When he got old, he'd lay in the ropes and let the other boxer hit him until he wore out, and then he'd step out and knock him out. Anyway, we've got to teach them that falling in love with God creates inroads for all the needs of your life to be answered. Worshiping God with hands and hearts raised is an outward display of the inward love, devotion, and desire that we have for the God of creation and of intimacy. You see, when a child wants to be held, what's he do? He raises his hands. You know, the Bible teaches us to raise our hands. It's called yada. When a child wants to be held by an adult, he reaches up. And when a person falls into a pit and wants to be rescued, he reaches up. (laughs) And when a soul is down and overwhelmed in life, we've got to teach them how to reach up. So when they come in here into the house of God, here's, boy, this is going to sound tough, but I'm going to say it. If you sit with your hands in your pockets, you're not teaching them how to reach up. If you just, I'm getting, I'm meddling now. If you do this in worship, you're not teaching anyone around you that you got to be all out, completely sold out to him. And people around you, believe it or not, are watching your life. And they watch your expression. And they watch what you do. And they watch your countenance. And they know whether you're happy or sad. Or if you're the kind of person who is just getting by. No Christian should really ever just be getting by. That doesn't mean we don't have difficulties and trials and difficulties and and moments when things go backwards and wrong. And we feel like giving up and our hands are tired. That happens to every child of God. But I also know that at my lowest point, when I'm at the worst of the worst of where I'm at, the best thing I can do is go, Daddy, rescue me. Rescue me, Daddy. Rescue me, Daddy. I need you. I need you because this is bigger than me. And without you, I will not win. I will not get out of this pit. I will not get out of this downtrodden state. I will not get out of this depression, Lord, unless I reach to you. This financial debacle will swallow me whole. God, if I don't reach to you, help me, Daddy. And if we're going to win, Cameron, we got to teach them how to reach. We got to teach them how to reach to the Father. If I hurt your feelings over how you worship and your posture, good. Because the world judges what they see. And when they come into the house of God, They shouldn't just come into a church service. They should come into an all-participation event. Not just sitting by waiting. I know we have different expressions. I'm not telling you to be somebody you're not. I'm saying give your best. 
Make it obvious how in love you are with your Savior because somebody who walks in here for the first time who doesn't feel like they're winning and life is beating them up and they just had the friendliest experience they've ever had from the parking lot to the pew suddenly find out the reason why there's happiness before you get into the sanctuary. They find out that this is real because these people are plugged into a real God and I feel something in the room and I sense somebody is here besides me and by the time the altar call comes, rather it's before I preach or after I preach, by the time the altar opens, they know that they can have an encounter with their God for the first time and run and meet him as their Lord and Savior as well. Are you with me so far? So I got to hurry. So first, we teach them to reach up. Secondly, we teach them to reach into the Word, to reach in for knowledge. All of us have grown up because we've reached into the word for knowledge. If all you get in your feeding is from this pulpit, you will be an anemic Christian. I don't think I do all that bad as a preacher, but if you are just getting this and this is all you're feeding yourself, I want you to understand you will not cross the finish line with a lot of victory because Something in is something out. Oftentimes, you know, the word says that the enemy comes immediately to steal the word. So you hear a word and you go back to the car. And oftentimes, by the time you hit the parking lot and put your hand on the door handle, distraction has come and the enemy has come to steal that word and you forgot. I've sat with people uh, at lunch and got a grin because we'll be at lunch and we'll be eating together. And they'll say, Pastor, I really love the message today. It was awesome. And I go, yeah, what did you like? And they're like, uh. It escapes us all. You're not alone. It escapes us all. Some of the greatest messages, I've been up shouting, running the floor back and forth, shouting the preacher down, slapping him on the back, got home, went, I can't remember. The enemy's a master at stealing the word. That's why the word is so important. So after we teach them how to worship, then we must teach them how to feed themselves in the word. For we reach into the word to devour the word on our own, and together through that, it becomes discipleship. If they're grab, grasping the word and we're teaching them the word, then suddenly their life begins to change. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study and be eager to learn the word and be able to rightly divide the truth. That is a command that's given to the entirety of the body of Christ. This way, no one from the outside can come in and sow a false doctrine into you. If you know the word for yourself, then no one can steal the truth from you. Is this all right? I know we're getting close to time and my McDonald's socks are starting to ring. <laughs> I'll hurry. But I got to finish this. Say <laughs> vibrating socks. I didn't know that was built in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> rightly dividing the word is when life tests you and tries you. This is when the, you learn how to divide the word, when you're being tested by life. Trying to steal the truth you know. When the enemy comes to steal the truth, you know. How's he do it? By temptation. Huh? Huh? By tempting you. 
right? So here's how you've got to learn how to rightly divide the word. When temptation comes and someone tells a lie, you know it's a lie because you know the word. If someone speaks a vicious rumor, you can counteract it with the facts that you know about the word. When difficulty comes, you understand that difficulty, according to the word of God, is just a time of testing for me. If you're in a time of loss, you understand that right after the loss comes a great gain because God always rewards us when we cross the other side of a test. If you're going through injury, you can understand that by his stripes you are healed and this injury will not take you out, but it will only be healed by the power of God. When sickness comes, whether it's in your soul, which is the worst sickness of all, or upon your body, you have to understand that we have the power because we have all the power of Christ to overcome what it is that is coming against us. If we're in a time of economic stress, understand that if you're in an economic stress, this is the time to sow because the Word of God says He's giving you an opportunity. And if you'll stand in the midst of a time of economic stress, you may not have two nickels to throw together, but I remember remember a little widow woman that Jesus watched give an offering and she had less than a half cent in two coins called minus and she threw them into the offering plate but God heard that as greater than those who were throwing gold into the plate and had a lot to give this little woman was rewarded I promise you we don't see on the other side what the reward was but I promise you that little woman never went without when heartache comes and, and tries to steal, we also know the word says that there shall be joy in the morning if you know Christ. If disappointment comes, we can encourage ourselves in Christ knowing that this disappointment is but a season and it too shall pass. If we're fighting depression, understand this, that down on the inside of you is the Ruach HaKadosh, the paraclete, the one called alongside, the one that introduces Jesus into your heart and you have become the temple of the Holy Ghost. And even though the enemy comes to try to depress the mind, you have the power and the inner joy on the inside to rise up and to defeat depression with the understanding that the joy of the Lord, it, it, it is so powerful that I can't even describe it. It is so powerful that it is indescribable that somehow down deep on the inside that though the world is coming against me, I know I've got a place with the Heavenly Father and my name's been written in the Lamb's book of life. Ooh, I'm having fun, you all. One person. Thank you, Father, for one. <laughs> if we teach someone these promises and these truths and these lessons of the word, then faith can remain intact. And when life seems contrary to us, on the other side of the inward reach is the spiritual benefit of life's graduation to take us from victory to victory in our steadfast belief in the word of God. Our overcomer status is ever shaped by our adherence to God through his never changing word. Who can say amen to that? And that brings us to reach up, reach into the word, and reach out. This brings us back to Matthew 28 and 19. When we reach up to God and develop relationship, when we reach into the word to gain knowledge, insight, and faith, 
then we reach out to those around us, both inside and outside of the walls. Reaching them through our testimony, pointing them to Christ, proving him to them by his word. That's what Jesus meant by go ye into all the world, and ye means you. And wherever you are. See, when we hear this scripture, we often get the mental image that we need to leave here and go to a foreign nation. I've stood in the soil of foreign nations and found out that the natives of the foreign nation are better preachers to those people than I could ever be. Now, you see, we don't have to go to a foreign country. Wherever you are, that is your world. Wherever you are, that is your mission field. Wherever you are and whoever you meet, that is your opportunity. Now, God does call some of us to be missionaries and to go to foreign lands, but every missionary I know, they fall more in love with the land that they're serving than the land that they came from. I've been to other lands. I kissed the ground when I got back here. Come on. I like our luxuries. I like our air conditioning, don't you? I like it that I can go to my faucet and have running tap water and I don't have to walk five miles to a well. I like that. But I can't get lazy just because I've got comforts because I have a mission field. And there are people whose lives in this country as well as some foreign nation whose lives are hanging in the balance waiting for the truth. And they need me. They need you. Who can say yes to that? I'm almost through. Hebrews 11.1, 1, you can turn that you don't have to. Everybody knows it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Mm. A vision is a substance of faith, ladies and gentlemen. It is an unseen reality. It is awaiting for a revelation and a manifestation. It is believing what you do not see and waiting to see it come to pass, but believing it so strongly that even though it hasn't come to pass, it's yours. That's why in Hebrews 11th chapter, it talks about Abraham and some of them who understood that they were in line to bring about the Messiah, died without seeing the promise, but never lost the faith. Many of us have lost loved ones and friends who thought they would be leaving by the way of a trumpet sound, but time waited them out, and they went to the grave, but they held on to their faith that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We oftentimes overcomplicate faith and make it too hard. Faith is simply believing and holding on to that belief, even to death. That's bringing it down to its lowest common denominator. I want us to look at Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the third verse. It says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. <laughs> so, if God frames all of what we know in the starry existence and what we know in the terra firma 
by faith and the word. And he used that as his framing for the worlds. And it's plural there. If he used it to frame the worlds, then I believe that we should frame our vision by faith. We can help people win by teaching them to reach. We can help people win by teaching them to reach. And we can win our city. Are you ready, Brian? He's dozing. Don't tell nobody. I won't tell nobody you did that. <laughs> Poor guy. Give me your hand. We Come on up here. I want everybody to see. I'm going to reach out to you. All right, you ready? Move this out of the way. We help our community. And we win our community by reaching out and showing them there's a better way. Showing them how to reach. There's a God who can help you win. There's a way out of the situation you're in. The difficulty that you're struggling. That boss that sometimes is difficult to you. There's a way around that. There's a victory in it. There's a way to get through the, the trial, the test, the difficulty. There's moments in your life that can be totally changed if you just know how to reach. And you can become a winner in this life. Thank you, Ryan. So, having said that, I want to help people win, don't you? Stand to your feet. As painful as that was, it's only five minutes past. My socks are still vibrating. <laughs> I know this was a little wordy, but let's break it down in its simplest form now. If we're going to help people win, we got to reach them. And God didn't choose somebody else in Cameron. He chose you. He chose us. This isn't about me coming to town and blowing and going and preaching and raining down fire from the pulpit. This is about us collectively taking the truth of God's word and reshaping our world in faith. Believing God's big enough to do it. Understanding that we have the power and the right to reshape things. We have the ability to lay on our face and intercede until something begins to turn. We have enough love in our heart to help a difficult person in a difficult time get through their difficulty. We have the strength to run the devil off and out of somebody's life. We have the power and the faith and the ability to reshape for them morality so that they understand God's word and its true principles. And the things that could have once drug us to a sinner's hell can be dispelled from our life forevermore and in exchange for our name being written into the eternal book of life, written in red by the blood of the Lamb. 
And our city can know greatness because of the great people who started winning because of the influence of Christ found in us. How many could say amen? Father, I thank you today for your precious word. We're so glad you listened to this message today. Our goal is to bring hope, encouragement, and help you win, all while building God's kingdom. At Passion Church, we believe in community. If you would like to partner with us in prayer or giving, then send us a message on Facebook or through our website, passionchurchmo.com. We'd love to hear how God is impacting your life through this ministry. 